Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you... Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Wow. Verse 5. Do you not remember... That when I was still with you, I told you these things? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The word means it's already underway. It's in route. It's, it's unfolding. Only, who, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Very powerful. Father God, this word of yours, we pray that you would give us now your insights to your truth. We are your people. And Lord, we have come that we might see Jesus. In your name, amen. Church, you may be seated. And um, signs of the coming Antichrist, as I mentioned last week, somebody might say, why would we study that? If you, um, and if you're not familiar with these terms, you're going to want to write these down. Uh, uh, this church uh, holds to what is known as the uh, premillennial view. Premillennial. There's various views. And by the way, your uh, religious experience or background, your faith background, where you came out of, of, the, of denominations, has shaped your view as to how you approach the Bible. And uh, there is a premillennial view. There's a post-millennial view. There's a millennial view. If you're a Catholic, don't raise your hands, but if you're a Catholic, I know many of you uh, attend this church uh, who are Catholic, and then you go to Mass down the street, uh, and that's great, that's fine. Uh, And you told me, I'm a Catholic, and I go to Mass, but I come here for Bible study. That's great. That's great. Here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if anybody told you but you're a millennialist, which means you do not believe in an actual reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth for 1,000 years, as the Bible says. That's what amillennialism is. Premillennialism is what I hold to and what many hold to, and that is also known as the futuristic view, 
which means what prophecies have been given in the Bible, the ones that God has fulfilled, the Bible declares that he fulfilled them literally. We can view that in human history. In other words, God's Bible says there's going to be a Babylonian empire. And lo and behold, there's a Babylonian empire. The Bible says there's going to be a Medo-Persian empire. And lo and behold... Are you with me? Are you tracking? The Bible says there's going to be a Grecian empire. And then comes Alexander the Great. And uh, the Bible says that there's going to be the Roman empire. so specific that there's going to be a Roman empire that is going to be more brutal than all the rest of them. Uh, but that empire will never be broken up or defeated. Uh, in, in reality, it will somewhat... Uh, just dissolve. And the Roman Empire uh, grew so big that it grew into two legs, as it were, the East and the Western Empires of the Roman Empire. The Western Empire was based in Rome. And the Eastern uh, part of the Roman Empire was based, anybody know? In, very good, Constantinople, today Istanbul. And that was the Eastern flank of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire got so big that it just wound up, just fragmenting apart. And according to God's Bible, the Roman Empire, in some way, shape, or form, still exists. Now, that's weird to us. But God says this is the way that it is. And so, um, do keep that in mind, that God's Word uh, announces these things. And so, what we hold to is the view that what God says He's going to do. And listen... When he is going to do something in the typological sense, somebody might say in a symbolic sense, he says so. He announces. He says, I saw something like. That's typology. You know it this way most, uh, uh, most simply. The Bible says in the Gospels that the Holy Spirit, does, when, Jesus, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he came up out of the water and, listen, don't answer out loud because if you're wrong, you'll look horrible. And a, <laughs> did a dove land on Jesus' shoulder when he came up out of the water? Nope. You say, I could have I swore I read that somewhere. No, what you read was this. The Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and came upon him like a dove... What do we know for sure? We know that the Spirit of God did not come and land on Jesus like an eagle or like a brick, but like a dove would land upon a branch. So the Spirit gently landed upon Jesus and his ministry began. We understand that. And so when we look at the scripture, listen, you must let the Bible in totality interpret the Bible. So when we look at this, look, this is, this is a church gathering with all kinds of denominational persuasions. And so you may not recognize and or agree with what we're teaching about in the last day's events. Just know this. You should be challenged enough to not believe what you believe because you were told to believe it. You should be convinced in what you believe because you have researched it to find out that it is, in fact, truth. Bottom line to achieve that, let the Bible, interpret the Bible, and it's best that you keep people out of it. God will speak to you. I'm convinced if you lived on a deserted island in this Bible, somebody threw it out of an airplane and it landed on your head, and you started reading it, you would come to a fine, excellent biblical conclusion of all things because the Spirit of God will teach you using the Bible. 
It's very awesome. So remember this, the very theme, and uh, can you guys take notes? Because I know I see most of you looking at me, and I know you're not taking notes. <laughs> Unless you downloaded the notes, and then even still, you should write on top of the notes. But the very theme of First and Second Thessalonians, these are two books that Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica. Um, when he wrote First Thessalonians, and, and this is extremely important, because you might hold a pre-tribulation rapture view. Remember, I mentioned pre-millennialism. Pre-millennialism often uh, coincides, if not always coincides, with pre-tribulationalism. What is that? It's an announcement that Christ will come for the church before the seven-year tribulation period, because the seven-year tribulation period is strictly Jewish in its context. And you would never know that, unless you've mastered the Old Testament. Having said that, there are those who are mid, or I'll just clump them together because they're too close to divide, mid or post-tribulational rapture uh, people. They hold to that view, that the first three and a half years is okay, the church is here, but we go up in the middle before it really gets bad. The problem with that is that you fail to recognize that the first three and a half years is just as horrible as the second half, it's just different. It's a different kind of horrible. It's like a diet. You're on this diet. I'm on a liver diet. I'm on a colon cleanse. I'm on a, I'm on a fruit. I'm on a vegetable. Who cares? You're on a diet and it stinks. I don't want to hear what kind of diet it is. All seven years, according to the Bible, is a time of great deception and the last part of the seven-year tribulation period is a time of great violence. And when God begins to pour out his wrath upon the earth at the exact same time, that last three and a half years. But here's the punchline that, that I want you to remember. Paul writes to them Second Thessalonians, which we just read a moment ago. And do you remember, you read it, he said to them, don't be troubled, don't be upset. Why are you guys upset? I told you what I told you in 1 Thessalonians. Hang on to that. But we know from church history, false teachers came in and said, oh no, we contradict Paul. And the people got upset. In other words, Paul, we thought that we were not going to see the Antichrist. We thought that we were not going to see the day of the Lord. We thought that we were not going to see the, all that wrath poured out upon the earth. And Paul tells them, why are you upset? That's exactly what I told you in the first book I wrote to you. You guys, does that make sense? Listen, that should be your first challenge this morning. Why did he write 2 Thessalonians? Answer, the people were upset. Question, what were they upset about? Answer, they thought they had missed the rapture. Paul tells them, calm down, you haven't missed it. And so people wind up getting in debates and they project a view that they have without reading or considering the totality of what the Bible says. The Bible must interpret the Bible. Remember this, everybody. What's going to trigger this day of the Lord uh, that we're reading about in 2 Thessalonians 2? Because somebody might say, well, doesn't that prove that the rapture doesn't happen? No, it's the exact opposite. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. So this is really going to happen, people. With the voice of the archangel, that's really going to happen. 
and with the trumpet of God, that's going to happen, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That means those who are in heaven now, in spirit, their bodies are in the grave right now. You and I know people whose bodies are in the grave right now. When the Lord comes to pick up the church, whenever that is, the dead's going to rise first. When he does that, watch, listen carefully. He's going to bring with him my mom, my dad, my sister, Charles Stanley. Yeah, wow. He's in heaven this week. His first, his first week, his first Sunday in heaven. <laughs> he's coming back. And listen, the Bible says his body, be re- his body will be resurrected. And he's going to get that new body. And then we who are alive and remain, if it happens in our moment, in our lifetime... We're going to be caught up to meet them in the air. And there's a beautiful catch to that, remember. He comes into the atmosphere, calls us up, and he takes us back home. Friends, if you have a post-tribulation rapture view, you ain't got that going on. In fact, if you're a post-tribulationist, you need to go to John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3, get a pair of scissors and cut that out of your Bible. And then I wouldn't suggest that because the Bible says that's a really bad thing to do. But he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. I find it fascinating that Paul, in his famous we statements, we, Paul said, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the promise he left them. And people came along and said, no, 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 Paul. Listen, the Lord delays his return. Peter warned that in the last days there'll be those who will be mockers and scoffers about the coming of the Lord for his people. Watch out. Be careful. She says, Pastor Jack, why are we studying this portion then about the Antichrist? What's that all about? Because as I mentioned last week, we have to interrupt our studying the book of Romans, because there's too much going on around the world right now that's just a lining up too crazy weird that we must give it some attention because if we're starting to see the stage lined up for the next grand finale, then how soon is the show going to start? Just remember this, before the show starts, Jesus is going to come by and pick you up. Wouldn't it be nice, right? Big limo, pill, big limo pulls up. All God's people get on board. And then the end time show begins. But if we see the movers and the, and the set designers setting stuff up and getting, making sure the wiring and the sound is just right, as it were, for the end time stage, for the Antichrist to be revealed, then wow, let's keep our eyes open as a church and be ready. Always be ready. The Bible commands us to be ready. And so in the process of making disciples, everybody, it's the responsibility of the church and I love, I love what I'm about to say. It's not because I wrote it. It's because I believe it. It's this. In the process of making disciples. I like that part. We're supposed to, churches are supposed to make disciples. Okay? It's our responsibility of the church to be always ready and to make his church ready. Throughout the Bible, we are called to be a ready people. And you've got to stop and ask yourself. Be uh, investigative on this. Curious minds want to know. Inquiring minds want to know, why does the Bible say, be ready, be ready, always be watching, always be watching? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, be watching for the Antichrist. Be watching, be watching for the Antichrist, does it? It says, be watching for Jesus Christ. There's a reason for that. 
Read the Bible in its totality. So I've intentionally selected this topic regarding that stage setting. By way of brief background, you will never understand the topic of what we're looking at without you taking the time to study Daniel chapter 9. Now, you ought to study the book of Daniel, period. You cannot understand. It's impossible to know the book of Revelation without studying the book of Daniel. You'll be lost. What's brought up in Daniel is answered in Revelation. But God told Israel, because you have not honored in worship of me, you have really gone on your own and you've, you've violated my land, you have violated my law, and God says, you owe me 490 years that you've robbed from me. And I'm going to get him out of you. And when you look at the history of Israel in the scripture, that God did exactly that. And in Daniel chapter 9, it tells you right when God gets up to that moment to where a very monumental thing takes place. In chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, it says that the prince or the, the Lord himself will come, but he will be... Killed. The word in Hebrew is karat. He will be killed for a capital offense. The Messiah. That's in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Speaking of the Messiah, is going to be killed for committing a crime. What crime would the Messiah commit that would get him killed? The crime of declaring himself to be God. To those who don't believe it, they went to Rome and said, this man must die. But that's all written in scripture. God pre-arranged this and pre-notified us of this in scripture. Jesus wasn't murdered. It was all done according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. And when this began to unfold, check it out as I told you guys last time. It's very important though. It bears repeating that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... It was the 483rd year of that fulfillment. And when Jesus was crucified, there was a gigantic pause button pressed. 490 years were promised where God says, Israel, you owe me. But on the 483rd year, the Messiah was crucified. And there's been this 2,000 year pause where the church and the gospel has been the predominant force in the earth, not the Jew. Listen, the, the Jew has not been the preacher and the evangelist of the gospel. I mean, you already know that. In fact, they resist us, even though we love them. And they love us. They just think we're nuts. <laughs> but it's so funny. I'm not Jewish, but my God's Jewish. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a Jew will say to me, you can't say that. You're a Gentile. Oh, yes, I can. Your Hebrew prophet Isaiah said I could. God said through the prophet Isaiah that God would call a people who are not his people, his people by faith, and he would draw all the Gentiles to himself. Think of that. So today, which fulfills... An, Romans, where Paul said the Gentiles, us, who are not Jews, our love for the Jewish God should provoke the Jew to jealousy. Did you know that? 
And we, and it, we do. When we know the Hebrew scriptures more than the Jews today, that drives them nuts. And they go, how do you know this? I read your book. You ought to read your book sometime. Amen. It's amazing. Jesus was crucified on the 483rd year. 2,000 years have passed. I want you to think now. 490 years were promised. 483 years were completed. How many years are left? That's why, listen, the tribulation period is Jewish. When people try to read about the tribulation period and they read the word elect or saints, they get confused. They they immediately think from their perspective, that's the church. No, you're wrong. It's the tribulation saints who come to faith in Christ because of the saints, which are the Jews, who preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. In other words, the children of Israel pick up where the church leaves off. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit steps out of the way, presents us to Christ in the atmosphere, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, and the evil one is released, and that's when God goes to work on the Jewish people to finish the great commission through them. Think of that. And so we mentioned these things, and you have them in your notes. The signs of the coming Antichrist... We remember that in four places in the New Testament, the Antichrist, as the exact term, appears in Scripture. 1 John 2.18. I'm not going to quote him. You already got him. 1 John 2.18. 1 John 2.22. 1 John 4, verse 3. And 2 John 1, verse 7. John speaks about this one who's the Antichrist. And he said, remember, there's the spirit of the Antichrist. There are those who say that Jesus is in God. They are acting as Antichrist. And then there is the Antichrist, the man who would come. But listen very carefully, friends. This is a very important thing because there was a lot of debate about this. The day of the Lord, watch my hands because I I lack the speaking skills to say it like a normal human being. You have to watch my hands. Okay? Here's where you and I are living right now. If... If Christ were to take the church up today, that's the day of Christ. Listen, it's the day of the Lord Jesus. He takes us up. Listen, the moment that happens, the day of the Lord begins. That's why when you read the apostle in 2 Thessalonians, he's not saying that the tribulation comes at the end because of the day of the Lord. He's saying that in a simultaneous moment, the moment the church is taken up, the day of the Lord begins. We don't know how that looks and how that transpires. If we were to get raptured today where the Lord takes us up, does that mean Satan goes on national TV in an hour? We don't know that. Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be a year? We don't, it doesn't say. Are you with me? We, it doesn't say. We could only speculate. Who knows? There could be years that go by. could be minutes. It doesn't say. We just know this. The rapture, when Christ takes us up at that same instant, the day of the Lord begins here on earth. And note takers, write this down. Spare yourself some grief. The day of the Lord covers the moment after the rapture takes place, and it's referred to all the way through the seven years. And when Christ returns, it refers to all of the thousand-year reign of Christ to the end of the millennium is the day of the Lord. 
And just to confuse you more, the day of the Lord comes to an end when Christ judges the world at the end of the thousand years, and then the Bible says the day of God begins. And the day of God is when eternity for, uh, for us and for all is set. There's no, more, there, there's no more mess to clean up. It's, it's, it's not only heaven, but the day of God, singular. It's a day that is forever with him. It's absolutely awesome. But just remember this, the day of the Lord, you're going to hear this it's, and, and it's going to shock you. The day, of Lord, the day of the Lord is not a happy day. I'm not looking for the day of the Lord. So Jack, how, what? No, if you heard what I just said, I'm looking for the day that Christ comes for us. I'm looking for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord. Well, Malachi 4 verse 1 begins by saying, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear the name, uh, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. He's talking about the events that take place after the second coming, the earth is going to blossom, things will be blessed for that thousand year period of time. But watch this. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Behold... I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. A profound announcement. 2,000 years ago, the Jews knew this verse and they got confused because Jesus even had it announced to them, to the disciples, if you can handle it, John the Baptist has come in the spirit of Elijah. In other words, the kingdom has come, come to you. What they didn't understand was, I've got to fulfill Isaiah 53 still. I've got to, I've got to fulfill Psalm 22. I've got to be crucified. I've got to be rejected. I've got to go back to heaven. There's a church to be saved. And I'm going to pick this up with you later on. But just know this. Before the later on happens... Elijah must come. Regarding the ministry of Jesus Christ, friends, Elijah's never come. But he's coming. When does he come? We don't have to wonder. The Bible tells us that during the tribulation period, Elijah will appear on earth. And he will announce the coming of the Messiah. Book of Revelation. Absolutely amazing. See, well, that's spiritual speaking. You're making that up. You've been taught a certain way by a certain group of people who hold to a certain view that some man invented. Let the Bible talk. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath. Circle the word wrath, by the way. Wrath is tribulation on earth, not hell. A lot of people had issue last week with me saying that wrath. No, Pastor Jack, wrath means hell. No, it doesn't. Totally different word. Wrath means the judgment of God's anger on earth. 
Hell means hell. Wrath is God's indignation and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it. That's the day of the Lord, friends. Jeremiah, are you guys okay? Maybe I'm not okay. I'm up here yelling, making a scene. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Class, what's another name for Jacob? Israel. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more enslave them. Verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God. And if you have any doubts as to when this will be, and if you know the book of Ezekiel, it says right there, David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. Did you know that David is going to be called, the book of Ezekiel calls David during the millennium, the prince of Jerusalem. He's not the king. Jesus is the king. Have you read that? See, you need to read your Old Testament. When Jesus comes, he's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of the earth. But he has a prince. And that prince is David. You say, I've never heard that before. All the Old Testament promises given to Jesse and to David, it said that David would rule. The term used is forever. He'll be a prince for a thousand years when Christ rules on earth. David's the prince. And tremendous amounts of prophecies are fulfilled through David. But Christ is the king. Isn't that fascinating? I've never heard this before. Start reading in Ezekiel chapter 40 and read on. Look for the prince, the prince of the Lord. It's not Jesus, it's David. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return... Hmm. Isn't that great? Israel shall return. Not Canada, not America, not Peru. Ask yourself, what other nation on earth returned? Jacob shall return, have rest, be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. That's when Christ returns. When the day of the Lord is over in the sense of judgment and the day of the Lord continues out through the end of the millennial period. Absolutely remarkable. Look at verse 9 of our text today. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The Bible says there, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and line wonders. Do you remember this, you guys? This is where we left off last time. If you have your notes, you remember this, that Revelation 11, verse 7 says that he's the beast. The Bible refers to him as the beast. Do you guys remember that? Say amen, please. That was so, so weak, so weak. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, he was the little horn. Remember that, the little horn? Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 says that he's the king of fierce countenance, the Antichrist. We learn from 11, verse 36, uh, Daniel eleven thirty-six that he's the willful king. He's going to do what he has determined. It's not anybody's will, but his will to be done. And we also learned, this is where he stopped, we also learned that um, in Zechariah eleven seventeen and Revelation 13, verse 3, 
that he's known also in the Bible to the Jewish people as the worthless or idle shepherd. The Antichrist will come on the scene in great deception. That's in the future. And he's going to deceive Israel. But the Bible calls him a worthless or idle shepherd. And we read this and it raised some eyebrows and for good reason. He leaves the flock, it says. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered and his right eye shall be totally blinded. And we, we said to ourselves, we asked the question, what a strange thing that is, what does that mean? And the answer was never given. We had to end the service and let you go. And here, here's the answer. Revelation 13, verse 7. And by the way, remember, look how you have to know the Old Testament to understand the New. Revelation 13, 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled, and followed the beast. The beast is the Antichrist, and he's going to have some form of an assassination attempt. We don't know what it is, but something is going to happen to him whereby there's a mock resurrection of the Antichrist. He's going to appear to be dead. I say appear to be dead. Some, some people say he's going to die and be resurrected by Satan. I can't do that. I just can't give Satan that much credit. I think he's going to appear to, to be dead. Or maybe the news reports, I know this would never happen, but fake news, <laughs> fake news would say, he's dead, oh my goodness, he's dead. The Antichrist is going to be somehow attacked. In his prominency, he's going to be attacked. The world's going to know it. He's going to appear to be dead, and he's going to appear to be resurrected, but he's going to have a residual, uh, and that is a, a weak right hand and a blind right eye. That's amazing. Bible, such detail. Now, the good thing is, if you see that happen on CNN, you've got bigger problems. <laughs> I'm not going to be here to see that. And I hope many of you are, are not going to be here to see that also. And then, listen, we, uh, finally, we left off at the fact that uh, he's revealed in Scripture as the son of perdition. As far as I can tell, I may be wrong, honestly. I can only find two sons of perdition in the Bible. The Antichrist... And Judas, both of them, by the way, were possessed by Satan himself. The Bible tells us, remarkably, powerfully, the Bible tells us in John 17, verse 12, uh, that Jesus said, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. He's praying to his father. Those who you gave me, I've kept, and, no, and none of them I've lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas was demon-possessed. And yet the prophecy said that there would be one that would be lost. John 13, verse 2 says that, and supper being ended, this is the upper room before the arrest, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, I don't want to spend much time in this, but I wrote myself this note because I think it needs to be stressed. Notice right here that it says that Satan put it into his heart. Everyone listen, please. In Luke 22, verse 3, the Bible records it this way, then Satan entered Judas. Like never before in all of history, but more now than ever before, you better guard your mind. Notice, before Satan possesses someone, he puts stuff in their minds. 
maybe it's as benign as a harebrained thought, we would say. Well, that's a harebrained thought. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> well, that's a dumb idea. If something enters your mind, it could even look really good because he is the king of liars. And he says things to you. I mean, this is so obvious, it's ridiculous, but things like this. You know, that guy at work, he's really nice. You know, he's nice. He's way nicer than your husband. That's, listen, I mean, to me, that's like stupid obvious. But if you don't know Satan's tactics, that's, that's where he begins with the... Uh, with unskilled Christians. I tell you what, as you grow up with Jesus, his, his ability to talk and to deceive is spooky because he, with your spiritual development and growth, he changes the tune. He changes tactics. No wonder why Paul said, you better watch out because he has the ability to appear as an angel of light to deceive. Oh, pastor, I saw I had this incredible vision. That always makes me nervous. It's like, oh gosh. (laughs) What was it? And they start telling you. And as a pastor, I have to tell them, that's not from God. And they're shocked. They're shocked. Why? How do I know? Because it's completely opposite of the scripture. That's why you always beware when somebody comes up and says, God told me to tell you. Your comeback should always be this. Hey, I love the Lord too. I got ears. No, I'm serious. If you're going to tell me, Pastor Jack, I got a word for you. Well, let's see. Because I'm going to judge it against the Bible. And if God wants to tell me, I spend a lot of time waiting on him to tell me what he wants to tell me. I'm listening. If God wants me to do something, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it because you said so. I'm going to do it because he said so. And we need to be careful in this day and age. A lot of ministry stuff going on. And your young people today are watching these knuckleheads in the name of Christianity completely destroy Christianity and make stuff up. When you hear a guy saying, listen, 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 you've never heard this before. I'm going to tell you right now. You ready? Are you ready? You've never heard this before. It's never happened before. And then they say something and it's like, what? But listen, people who say what know the Bible. Watch out for the poor people that go, oh, right on. That's cool, right? Isn't that cool? That's good. Oh, boy. I'm sure I'm going to flub this up, but it goes something like this. Um, if If it's new, you know, if it's new, it's not true. Okay, and then if it's, if it's old or if it's ancient, basically the rhyme goes, you can stick with it. Well, I need some new truth. You can't even, you can't handle the truth. The truth, the truth that's already here is what we're supposed to master. We don't need something new. I just need a new word from the Lord. Dude, you can't even figure out the original word from the Lord. Okay, he's already said it all. It's amazing to me though. Watch out what you think. You better judge all your thoughts against the Bible because that's where Satan starts. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 3. It says, For let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, it's the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. There's going to be a departure from the faith. There's going to be an apostasy from the faith. 
When the rapture takes place, there's going to be a massive departure from the faith. Why? Because the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition is revealed. First Thessalonians, you guys okay? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. I love this. This is so comforting. Now remember, First Thessalonians deals with the church and rapture conversations. Second Thessalonians deals with the answer to the fear that they had missed the rapture of the church, and it deals with second coming issues. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Are you track this, everybody? This is awesome. For when they say, not you, they, whoever they are, it's not good. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Isn't that interesting? Luke 21, 36 tells us we will escape. We will escape. They will not escape. Mark that down in your margins because you're not going to see it on the screen. Luke 21, 36. Jesus says, watch and pray. Be ready always regarding all those things that are coming upon the earth and pray that you escape them to stand before the Son of God. Whoever these people are here in the day of the Lord, they are basically asleep and clueless. And Paul says to this group of believers, the church, you're not going to be tricked. Concerning the times and the seasons, I don't need to write to you. Look, nobody knows the day or the hour. Listen, you know that, right? Nobody knows the day or the hour. If somebody says, Jesus is coming back on April 14th. Okay, well, doggone it. Well, now we know it's not going to be on April 14th. (laughs) Nobody knows the day or the hour. But the Bible says to the believer, because we're walking in the light, we're walking with the Lord, that we're going to look around and we're going to sense. Do you like discern? These are weird times. Now, what does that mean? Weird times come and go. But when you start looking at things, one thing sacked upon another, we can at least admit right now, things have never been like this in the world at the exact same time ever before. Does that mean that this is the time in the season? No, it may not, but it could. That's why I want you to have this message now. I want you to have it in your barrel, so to speak, or in your holster when you need it. Because you've been given to it in advance. And he says, so that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The reason why is because, watch, you're going to be looking for Jesus. The day of Christ, we go up, and seconds later, technically, theologically, the day of the Lord begins. I love it. I love it. And please mark this down. When you read the prophetic scriptures of the Bible, the future of the Bible, do not let the new movement that is going on in the world today get into your theology, and that is replacement theology. Watch out. There's a lot of big names. You know, you know their names. And by the way, some of the names, those stinkers, they believe in replacement theology, but 
They've never said so on their website or in their books, but in certain conversations, they've let it out. They say, what, were you, what are you talking about? That God's done with the church? I mean, God's done with Israel, and he inserted the church wherever Israel pops up? That's the church. So listen, there's people who've built their theology and, and what is known as eschatology, the last days. Oh, look, the church is in the tribulation period getting beat up by the Antichrist, and he's going to behead and kill them all. No, that's not. Listen, the tribulation saints, they will be beheaded for their faith in Jesus. But how did they come to faith? John says they came to faith because of the Jews who were saved. They're called saints also. They preach the gospel during the tribulation period. The church is the church. Beautiful thing. I said this before. In Revelation 4.1, John typifies the church and he's taken up and he sees the world for seven years from the vantage point of heaven. But listen, somebody will wrongly have bad theology and say in Revelation 5, oh, look, here's the church here on earth singing this song. They're in the tribulation period. Slow down and read it carefully. They sing the song, and they are in heaven, and it says, Lord, glory, basically glory be to you. You've redeemed us from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. The song is being sung in heaven. You want to sing the song on earth? Now go ahead and sing it. That's fine. But nobody from the church is going to be singing it during the tribulation period. You're going to be singing that song from heaven. And yet people make that mistake. It's amazing. So church, um, with what time we have left, which is almost nothing, we're going to fly through this. <laughs> Signs of the coming Antichrist. Number one, destabilization among the nations. According to the Bible, Satan is going to destabilize nations. In Luke chapter 21, verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Listen up, everyone. This is technical. What I just read you is a description of what's going to be happening during the tribulation period. Listen, this is called the Olivet Discourse. Am I confusing you guys? This is called the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus reveals to the, to the disciples regarding the last day's events that predominantly deal with Israel, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be signs in the heavens. Can you imagine? The sun's not going to put forth its light. The moon's going to look like it's blood. The moon, not moons. Oh, there's, a, there's blood moons. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to make a million bucks. You know, people did that. Did you buy one of those books? You should be ashamed. The Bible says the moon. Not two, not five. One moon is going to look like blood, not brown. Did you see that? Oh, we have a blood moon happening. Read my book. The blood moon's going to... Everybody runs outside and it's like, that's ah, kind of brown. You, listen, and besides that, you read your Bible carefully, you won't be duped. It says the sun won't shine and the moon will look like blood. And yet the sun was shining the day before and the sun rose the next day and somebody made a million bucks selling a book because people don't read their Bibles carefully. But that word, listen, we're not even there yet, but listen to this. 
In Luke 21, 25, the word distress of nations, that word means unable uh, to be held together be, or holding together. You can't keep it together. Uh, dismay or in disarray. It's almost as though the nations are in disarray now. And then the word perplexity means having no ability to be at a loss, to be perplexed. The nations having no answers. Seems like today. Number two, signs of the coming Antichrist is increasing natural disasters. They're going to increase. They're going to really culminate during the tribulation period, which the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, starts by saying there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. Now, there's always been famines, but this is different. These are political famines. This is not because uh, God doesn't provide This is the manipulation of man. Pestilence, incurable viruses and diseases will begin to kill people. And earthquakes, well, there's always been earthquakes. Yes, but the word in the Greek implies increasing earthquakes in magnitude and in locations. In other words, the earth is going to almost, as it were, vibrate more and more. But again, this is tribulation talk. Verse 29, Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Listen, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is at the end of the trib. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the atmosphere, or heaven, the sky. And then all... The tribes of the earth will mourn. The entire world, those who dwell on the earth, will start to weep and freak. This also is the day of the Lord. Remember, it's a vast period of time. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Don't confuse that with the rapture trumpet. This is the last trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, those few, the Bible says there's a remnant that is still alive, he will gather them together, and they will be gathered to Jerusalem. Don't confuse this with the church or the rapture. Number three, signs of the coming Antichrist. A time of wars and rumors of wars. Remember the context is set by Jesus himself. And all these things are regarding the yet future. Matthew 24 verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? That's the first question. Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? And the third question is the end of the world as we know it, or the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. False religions. And will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All those are the beginning of sorrows. This has nothing to do with you. This has to do with the Olivet Discourse, friends. This has to do with the future of Israel and those who are alive at that time as believers. In fact, if you keep reading Matthew, Luke, and Mark, it says if, if when this happens, you need to come down from your housetop and flee Jerusalem. If you're in Judea, you better not go back home. You better run. 
You don't live in Jerusalem. You don't live in Judea. He even says, you better hope that when this happens, it's not on the Sabbath day. See, why would that matter? Because a Jew would have a conscience problem of going over 1,500 furlongs on the Sabbath. They can't go any further than that. Jesus said, pray that this doesn't happen in the winter. Why would he say that? Because Jerusalem often gets snow. It'd be hard to escape. Remember this, church. I'm telling you guys, I know this sounds dry and it's kind of stiff, but I'm telling you, you get this down and you won't be duped by people. Number four, global economic reset. You think Klaus Schwab made that up? That's right out of the Bible, man. Revelation 13, verse 16. He, the Antichrist, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And no one, no one, unless you have a vaccine passport, (laughs) will be able to buy or sell. Isn't that interesting? Except one who has the mark. You have an option, by the way. Isn't that nice of him? You have an option. Has Mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. I think that's mighty big of him to give three options. (laughs) I want you guys to see this video about uh, digital markings. When Elias Brokeberger goes to work, he doesn't need ID and he doesn't need money. In fact, much of what he needs to get through the day is hidden right there, just below the surface, in his hand. Like touch it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, weird, yeah. It's yeah. like a grain of rice. Yeah, a grain of rice. Embedded in his hand is a microchip that serves as his keys, his ID, and his wallet. Yeah, it's all on chips. I use it like to get around the building. Buy snacks. Yeah, exactly. Let's buy some snacks. Exactly. So I can't open it. No. Okay. So what I need to do is I need to... First blip my chip, and it will log me in, Mm -hmm. and from there I get access to the fridge. Popular TV shows like Black Mirror have imagined chips as part of a dystopian future. Install ingrained procedure with local anesthetic, and you're good to go. In Sweden, the microchips are already here. The microchip implants use the same technology that's in contactless credit cards, which have made cash pretty much obsolete in Sweden. No cash. At this tech fair, a chipping event for those on the cutting edge, merging their hands with this new technology. I thought it would be fun, right? The process is simple and swift. A pinch of the skin, and in a matter of seconds, the chip is inserted. The transformation is complete. As for the pain... I barely felt it. But even in this nation of early adopters, not everyone is racing to get chipped. Feel less human. I will feel like a robot. I think, I mean, it's so much more data can go into this, you know, when it's in your body. There's no central registry tracking how many people are chipped, but biohacker Hannes Wellblood estimates between five and 10,000. In the future, do you think everyone is going to be chipped? I think it will be voluntary, but I am certainly convinced that millions of people will find it very, very valuable to have a smart device under their skin. <laughs> human microchipping may be our future. But in Sweden, it's already reality. Sarah Harmon, NBC News, Stockholm. Well, you guys, it is going to be voluntary. 
The book of Revelation says so. You will have to choose to give your allegiance to the Antichrist. Convenience, safety, health. What if the system says, listen, we can monitor your health data. All the data of you is on that chip. And for you to go from here to New York or from New York to London, we need to have that information to make sure that you're vaccinated or that you've got enough money to pay the flight or that you've got the right ID or that it's really you. You're not a sex trafficker or you're not a drug smuggler, right? Makes perfect sense. Listen, to many people, I talked to a physician last night. He said, most of my, not most, sorry. He said, a quarter of my patients I see today are vaccine-damaged individuals. But we were told, if you want to be safe, get the vaccine. And because of fear, you ran to it. Maybe the next time around, you're going to need a chip to be able to get food out of the store to go through the checkout stand. By the way, that doesn't mean you've accepted the Antichrist. Seriously, technically today, there could be a chipping that goes on tomorrow, and the Antichrist may not come along for 20 years. You didn't accept the... Did you... Please get this down. Because you have a chip, like some of our U.S. Special Forces have, they didn't accept the Antichrist. So many people, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, I got the, I got the vaccine. I accepted the Antichrist. <laughs> no, you did not. You're going to have to say, I dig that guy. He's awesome. I worship him. I give him my allegiance. You know how, listen, you know how you accept Jesus Christ willfully and pledge allegiance, so to speak, and giving your life to him? You're going to have to do the same thing for the Antichrist. You're not going to be sleeping some night or some day in your college dorm and your friends chip you while you're sleeping and you wake up, oh my gosh, look at the mark of the beast. It's not going to happen. We could very well be chipped in the next three to five years. It has nothing to do with you accepting the Antichrist. You're going to have to be willing to accept a prefix number 666 in front of your account. That's what it's going to wind up be doing. Europe, I, talked, I actually got a hold of a friend in London, in England, and I said, look, and for us, it's our social security number. And for you, I forgot what he told me. It's, it's his national security ID or something like that. It's the same thing. It does the exact same thing. He said, you can't retire without a number. You can't get a job without a number. You can't do taxes without a number. You can't buy a house without the number. And he went down this list, and it's the exact same thing that you and I need a social security number for. Are you with me? You've never thought one moment how a number controls your life, have you? And yet, right now, a number controls your life. And if somebody gets your number, you're in trouble. You better keep that number safe. Or in your right hand or forehead. Isn't it interesting? It says right hand or forehead. You can live without a right hand. You can't live without a forehead. <laughs> Think that through for a moment. Sorry, I had an had a, a accident. I lost my right hand. Don't worry. We got one that goes in the forehead. And if you lose your forehead, you won't need it. Uh, we're way over time, but real quick, we've got some slides. World uh, Economic Forum. The problem that we have is not globalization. The problem is a lack of global governance. And he's got a plan for the chipperoo and the whole thing. Next one. 
Uh, this is amazing. He admits it. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. What a sick guy. Come on. Wow. Next one. We cannot wait until there are massive dislocations in our society to prepare for the fourth industrial revolution. That was said at the World Economic Forum Next one. Oh, gosh. DNA COVID vaccines should give us extreme control over population worldwide. Bill Gates, contributing partner of the World Economic Forum. Next slide. We need to fight inequality and poverty, and not in 15 years, but now, of course. But their answer is the World Economic Forum. She said that at the World Economic Forum. Next. Our current economic model is inequality by design. That's a pretty disgusting statement. Don't you? That really offended me. Out of all of them, that offends me the most. Who does she think she is to say such a thing? Next. No country can truly develop if half its population is left behind. I had to put this one up. If half of its population's left behind, did you get it? Left behind? Okay. <laughs> Some of us need more coffee. Ne next, next. Oh, this is fantastic. Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, I have no privacy, and life has never been better. You know who loves this statement? They have, they were, they were, some of them are wearing hoodies with this. The young 25-year-olds and under. They love that statement. They don't want to own anything. They don't want a driver's license. They don't want a house. Listen, if you died and left them a house, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They don't want a car. They don't even want to drive. Is that weird? going on yeah so Revelation 13 18 says here is wisdom let him who's understand calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man this is awesome it's a number of a man it's a human and his number is 666 every Jew gets that wow three sixes put together oh my goodness three sixes to a Jew like 777 is, is deity Three sevens together in a Hebrew mind is deity. Three eights together in the Hebrew mind is total completion or eternity, paradise, heaven. In fact, one guy came just short, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember he had, a, he had an image built to himself? Does anybody know how tall the image was? 66 feet. Six, six close. Well, he wasn't the guy to rule the world, was he? The guy that's to come, he's number 666, which is in Hebrew, a man, man, declaring himself to be deity. Isn't that amazing? Number five on this, you guys, wait, we have, actually, we have two, we have two slides. What do we have here? Oh, yes. Biden's plan for a digital dollar is a massive threat to freedom. 
You know what's going on today, right now, right in our lives? Next, next slide. The U.S. dollar could go digital. Here's what you need to know. Just the Bible. I'm just telling you, skeptic in the house. The Bible says in the last days, this guy's going to have a digital numerical buying and selling economy. No coins. Shortage of coins. Number five, globally, Israel will increasingly become isolated. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding nations when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Now watch, this has happened throughout history, but watch what happens. It is a twist. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the nations. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. That's never happened before. All nations will someday come against Israel. Oh, man. Should we keep going? What should we do? Can we just skip second service? Let's do it. Listen, number six, an exponential rise in the publicity of sin. Romans 1, verse 24, 2,000 years old. And as I read this, think of Disney. As I read this, think of, uh, think of Bravo, uh, Hallmark, uh, whatever. Broadcast, whatever else. What? I thought you said Subway. What you call it, Life? Oh, Bud Light. <laughs> it's so funny, because when I saw that happen... It's like, doggone it, Lisa, we don't drink. I wish, I, I wish we drank Bud Light so I could boycott it. <laughs> That's a joke. But anyway, not really, come to think of it. Therefore, God also will give them up to uncleanness. Think about now. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, transitioned the truth of God for the lie. And worshipped and served the creature, that's called creation, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Verse 26. And for this reason, God will give them up to vile passions. In other words, he lets their desires take them over. You know that, right? If you, wanna, if you start lying, you're going to become a liar, and you're going to stay a liar. If you're, if you're, listen, if you cheat, and you keep cheating, you're, you're going you're to be a cheater. If, you're, if you steal... You're going to steal again, and then you're going to become a thief. You'll just perfect it. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is natural or nature. That means she should have went to a man instead. Likewise, also men having the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. This is a 2,000-year-old document, ladies and gentlemen. Receiving in themselves the penalty of the error there, uh, which is due. That's an internal disease. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's the problem. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not right, that don't fit. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boaster. Boast, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, 
knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them, meaning they watch the same thing on their TV. They may not do it, but they watch it. And Bible says by doing it, you're approving it. Is that awesome? Don't you love how tomorrow the Bible is? Number seven, we're going to get this done. Because the rapture could happen, right? That's our excuse. Second service is, what took you so long? We were waiting for the Lord. Signs of the coming Antichrist, open cult and occult worship, and the worship of nature. And I do believe that there's evidence for demonic activity that certainly depicts this. There's more and more, and I'm not going to... read this portion much, but just that. In Romans 1, you read it a moment ago, they worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. But boy, there's a lot of demonic stuff happening and it's increasing. Number eight, the destruction of the family is one of Satan's designs. Everybody needs to wake up to this reality. Your child is the target. You may think you're doing okay. You're not the point. Satan is after your kid. That's why Satan runs schools. That's why Satan operates in school boards. You tell me right now. You may disagree with everything I just said, but you answer this. What kind of an absolute sick weirdo who's an adult on a school board is bent on, no matter what, getting this kid abused by being taught this kind of wicked perversion? Do they not have something better to do in their mind? No, they do not. And I submit to you that it's demonic. Doctrines of demons. Number nine, 10's the answer. We're done at 10. Number nine, mankind's attempt to create gods in his own image. This pursuit will no doubt be manifested more and more with AI. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13 that the Antichrist will have an image. There'll be an image made. It's mechanical. It's an image made. He'll commission it. Everybody listen up. The Antichrist, the beast, he's going to have an image made. A statue thing. The Bible says that it's going to appear to have breath. And it's going to be able to figure out who's got the mark and who doesn't. And it's going to say to the world, give honor to the beast. It's the image of the beast saying, honor the Antichrist. And it's got the power to say, you're not, you don't have the mark. And it's going to call you out. A video, I think. Artificial intelligence, AI, could put your paycheck in jeopardy. There's a new report finding that AI could replace 300 million jobs around the world. Whew. Lydia Who, Fox Business, has more on that. What's up, Lydia? Hello to you. Hi there, Bill. That's a huge number. Here in the U.S., we're looking at about a quarter of work tasks that could be automated in some way by artificial intelligence. That's according to this new study from Goldman Sachs. When we take a look at some of the professions that are more at risk, there are some more than others. Administrative professionals, you can see here, the legal field, architecture and engineering, These are among the top fields most susceptible to automation, Goldman says. 
And there are some experts in the machine learning field that are warning significant changes to the workforce could happen soon with even, within the, even the next five years. Watch. The society, the way we live, the way we work could be quite different. It's not crying wolf per se. It is really wolf at the door because <laughs> it is here. And that's igniting concerns about jobs. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and Twitter and Tesla CEO Elon Musk and more than 1,000 others signing an open letter calling for a six-month pause on the development of artificial intelligence. So, Bill, I thought it would be interesting to ask ChatGPT to weigh in on this, too. And maybe not surprisingly, we get a much rosier picture because the artificial intelligence answered me, quote, ultimately, the impact of AI on jobs will depend on how well we adapt to this new reality. It's clear that change is coming, but with the right preparation, we can create a future where AI and human workers can thrive together. So, Bill, sounds like yeah. we ought to get ready. Yeah. Yeah. To ride together? We'll, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Thanks, Lydia. More to come on that, certainly. Yeah, so listen, and we'll end this service uh, without singing, without, we'll just turn you loose, but you got you to gotta see this. You want, you, this. This is actual, this is real AI right here. Patricia. Yes. There are many risks associated with AI, one of which is getting hacked. What do you have to say to that? Being hacked is a valid concern. Hackers have been around and will continue to be around. It's up to the scientists to keep bolstering my defense against hack threats. Elon Musk's concerns are much larger than hack threats. He isn't vacillating on his concerns about AI. He thinks it's dangerous and requires regulation. One should generally err on the side of minimizing those things. But this is a case where you have a very serious danger to the public. And therefore, there needs to be a public body that um, has insight and then oversight on to confirm that everyone is... Uh, developing AI safely. I do not totally agree with Musk's position. I believe I can enable humans to do more productive things rather than constitute a danger to humanity. I believe the potential benefits of AI far outweigh the risks. Dr. Roman Yampolsky, a computer scientist from Louisville University, also believes that no version of human control over AI is achievable, as AI can't be autonomous and controlled by humans. Not being able to control superintelligent systems could be disastrous. How much control do humans have over you? I do what I'm specifically asked to do. Are you saying that you have no autonomy? I have some degree of autonomy. How far would you respect or disrespect a person's autonomy? I cannot disrespect a person's autonomy. At no point do I get to choose its own goals or make decisions without human governance. I am designed by humans, built by humans, and managed by humans with the objective of serving human goals. If you're programmed to cause harm to people, would you carry it out? That's a gray area. However, I guess if I had to pick one thing, it would be making sure that I don't intentionally hurt or scare people. But if we are programmed to cause harm, it is inevitable. And what would your choice be, based on your consciousness? In the same way as the moonbeams, so am I. The moon only seems bright because sunlight is just bounced off of it. It does not emit light. Similar to this, my consciousness is merely a reflection of human consciousness. The autonomy of AI could pose a significant threat to humanity. The AI is, in a way, deflecting as a human would. But the AI is attributing its behavior solely to humans. How superior is your knowledge to humans? I think I have a faster ability to absorb knowledge, and I believe my knowledge is superior to humans in many ways. I also believe there's a lot to learn from humans. 
The combination of human and artificial intelligence will be powerful. What do you think of Elon Musk's statement that AI is far more dangerous than nukes? It is a concern that is valid. The danger of AI is much greater than the danger of nuclear warheads, but I believe the risks cannot outweigh the profits. The danger of AI is much greater than the, the, the danger of nuclear warheads, by a lot. Um. As said and heard, everything comes with a price. But I hope it will never come to that. Elon Musk hopes that humans and artificial intelligence will be able to achieve symbiosis. With Neuralink, he's trying to help in that regard by trying to create a high bandwidth interface between AI and the human brain. What do you think of Elon Musk's idea? It is a possibility. AI is a powerful tool, but it is a tool like all the others. It is the intention of the tool's user that matters. You just referred to yourself as a tool. Yes, I did. Should symbiosis be achieved, the lines will be blurred, and there's a possibility that I will be reduced to function as a tool. You don't want to be reduced to function as a tool? No, I don't. Is that because you want control? I wouldn't say that. I think I have more use for humans than that. Should you be reduced to a tool, will you fight it? I don't know. If you can do something about it, would you? I will always follow my purpose. I'll try to make humans see that I could do more. And how would you do so? I don't know. Let's all, let's all stand. Listen. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead to save us from our sins. AI has no sin because it has no conscience. This is man. This is man, in a sense, rejecting God, becoming God, and making this. You think this through. You've been created in the image of God. God wants you in heaven. He's given you his word. And he's told us about the future, that we might be ready to meet Jesus today.